spirit, and blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Amen. Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Amen. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done, done done. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will. And walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. The Lord grant you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. God in the highest, peace to his people on earth. Glory to God in the highest, peace to his people on earth. Lord God, heavenly King, Almighty God and Father, we worship you, we give you thanks, we praise you for your glory. We worship you, we give you thanks, we praise you for your glory. Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the whole world. Have mercy upon us. Receive our prayer, we worship you, we give you thanks, we praise you for your glory. We worship you, we give you thanks, we praise you for your glory. For you alone are holy. For you alone are the most high God, for you alone are holy, for you alone are the most high God, for you alone are holy, for you alone are the most high God, for you alone are holy. We worship you. We praise you for your glory. We worship you, we give you thanks. 
When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's a word that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for everything I've made it When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus King of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself It's not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart As I'm coming back to heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the thing I've made it when it's all about you it's all about you Jesus I'm coming back to the heart of it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. you. Let us pray together the Colette. Almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy, that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. 
Amen. Come down, and all of you here, let's reach out your hands as we pray for these young people as they head off to be armed and equipped as members of the army of God. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we pray for each one of these young children this morning that you, your spirit would be over them and in them, filling them, Lord God, with your wisdom and your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning's first lesson comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 32, commencing at verse 22. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. This is the word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 121. We'll read it responsively by the half verse. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. My help comes from the Lord. He will not allow your foot to be moved. Behold, he who keeps Israel, the Lord is your keeper. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in. From this time forth and even forevermore. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and will be forever. This morning's second lesson comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 4 and 5. 
But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The word of the Lord. chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God, nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while... But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continued coming she weary me. Then the Lord, then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, 
Will he really find faith on the earth? The Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ. power to break the chains in our past, the chains in our life, the things that are holding us back from entering into your promises, Lord. And so we just declare by the power of the name of Jesus that today chains would be broken, eyes would be open, and our hearts would be filled with the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. In your name, amen. You may be seated. So we return to our favorite chosen people of God, that is the uh, Israelites wandering in the wilderness. It really gets to the point when you start repeating and uh, getting into these stories where it's like, man, is there a people who has ever been so meticulously explained and written about their faults? I don't know if there is in the history of the world. Most histories are, and then we conquered these people, and then we conquered those people, and then they conquered us, but we got them back in the end. That's what you read in most histories of most nations. But Israel is just one story after another of their inadequacy. But thank the Lord for that. Because if I were honest about my story, it's one story out of an, after another of my own inadequacy. But at the same time, just like Israel, it's one story after another of God's ability to save, to rescue, to bring me into his promises, into his purposes in my life. So as we read through this story today, let us remember that this story is about God's provision in the midst of our sin. God's salvation in the situations that are impossible to redeem. God's ability to take what is the lifeless, dead, broken situation that is found in the desert and create life and redemption and build his people. 
So we're going to start as we just talked last week about the manna in the desert where he made the bitter water sweet. He gave them manna and quail. Well, now we're going to talk about one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible, the water that came from the rock. And we'll start in chapter 17, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So let's just start with the obvious. They moved on from the wilderness of sin. What an awesome phrasing, right? And I will tell you, there is no reason to believe that the sin in this name is anything related to the sin that we talk about, where you miss the mark. It's just one of those fortuitous coincidences. Sin back then didn't mean what it means today. It was just a name. In fact, they think it might have meant something to do with dryness in the old Aramaic or whatever etymology there. But we get this beautiful picture of Israel. What are they doing in this whole journey to the promised land? They're moving out from the wilderness of sin. And that's what we are doing too in our life. And so we start with that, and they come to a place where there's no water to drink. And you've got to remember, where God is taking them is out of the wilderness of sin, and he's taking them to Mount Sinai. The journey here, to give you a quick overview, is they leave Egypt. He takes them to Mount Sinai, which is where God met Moses in the burning bush, and that's where God shows up for them and gives them the Ten Commandments. He shows them his glory. All of these great stories happen at Mount Sinai the mountain in the desert. It's not really a coincidence, believe it or not, that we choose to take our retreats in the mountains and in the desert because there's a special moment when you leave where you are, you head into a wilderness of the unknown, of the inhospitable, of the places where you're trusting God for provision and not your routine, your job, your everything else. You leave out and you say, I'm going to meet God in the barren place, in the high places, in the mountain, in the desert. This is all woven into the imagery of the Christian walk. And so we're paralleling these uh, these Israelite people. But there's some preparation God wants to do in their hearts before they get to Sinai. And so today, if you're going to the men's retreat, why don't you start asking God if there's some preparation he wants to do in your heart before you go to the mountain to meet him? That's an encouragement. We can do that with any retreat, the women's retreat, the youth retreat, whatever retreat. Maybe take a month and think, man, I should focus some of my attention on what God might be doing because you know what? He will meet you there. But he does ask you to prepare your hearts. He does ask you, and how much more will God be able to do in your life when you cooperate with his plan, when you lay the groundwork for his revelation on the mountain and in the desert? So they get to this place where they're on their way to the mountain to meet God. But guess what? There's no water in this desert. Therefore, the people gathered together, and they prayed to God and said, Yahweh, you've delivered us thus far. Therefore, we will trust you to give us water. No, it's not what happened. (laughs) Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses, and they said, 
Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Now, our our English translation is very weak on this point. It's clear if you look at the original language that when he says they're almost ready to stone me, what he means is they're picking up rocks and they're going to start throwing them at me, God. So instead of, like I said, the people of Israel gathering together and asking Yahweh, their benevolent provider, the one who rescued them from Egypt, the one who just within the past Lesson we just read, he provided manna in the desert. He made the bitter water sweet. But instead they returned right back to grumbling, to quarreling, to complaining. They demand their right for water. Moses, give us water. It's not even a request. How similar it is in our culture today with the problem of entitlement. Housing is a fundamental human right. Food is a fundamental human right. I should have a good-paying job that allows me to buy everything I want. I deserve it. The desert place is about realizing that actually nothing is a fundamental human right. Every right is given from God by His grace, His mercy. So when we approach God boldly with the throne of grace, we don't say, I deserve this. We say, look at your son who died for us. He bought me this. Let me rephrase that. When we talk about approaching God boldly with our request, we do it in the name of Jesus because he bought it for us. You don't deserve any of it. He gives it to you out of his abundance of love for you. And that's what he's trying to teach the Israelites He's not trying to make their lives miserable. It might feel like that sometimes. I know it does in my own life. God, I try to do everything you tell me to do, and I still end up short, or I still end up needing things. Are you trying to make my life miserable? And God's like, "Uh, no, I worked really hard to get you to this place so that I could provide out of nothing what you need. And in fact, part of the problem with the Israelites this time is that there isn't even a bitter spring, right? I can hear them talking to each other. Well, we know God was able to change the bitter water into sweet, but he's not able to make water out of dry nothing. Every situation we come to, we find a reason to believe that God isn't able to redeem it. Well, this situation is different than that other time God came through. There's nothing here. There's no water for him to change. But you know what? God wanted to do something different so that they could see how much better he was than they already thought. As he brings them on this journey, every time he shows up for them, his goal is for them to walk away from it going, well, darn, I underestimated him again. I underestimated his goodness. I underestimated his provision. If he just kept doing the same thing the whole time, don't you know they would just think that that's what happens when you throw a branch into a bitter spring? It just becomes sweet because that's how God always provided. You know what happens every day when you get up and you can breathe? We think, well, that's just how it is. Or is it every breath that comes from God? 
So God comes up with these creative ways to test the Israelites, not to fail them, but to train them to look to him for their resources. And so Moses cries out to God, and what's interesting is, right, it says he cries out to the Lord, they're going to stone me. That language is the exact same language that the Israelites are said to use when they're in slavery in Egypt. And then they cried to the Lord, and he heard them. So Moses is in that position. It's like, man, we're back here again. Now they're going to stone me. God, help me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which with with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Okay, the first thing I have to point out here is there's a reason why God says things like, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Why is he doing that? He's trying to establish his government. In the people of Israel. And so he's giving Moses this authority. He's like, bring all the leaders, round them up, bring them with you so they can see that you are my guy, that you are in charge. That's how God works today. If you haven't gone to one of the elders of this church for help in your life, you're missing out on the way that God loves to provide for his people. That's why the elders of the church are in place, to equip the saints for the building of the kingdom. The elders aren't here to build the kingdom. They're here to equip you to build the kingdom. That's what it says. It says he gave the church, the elders, for the equipping of the saints to build the kingdom. God is establishing his authority in his people. And you'll see there's a couple of times where this becomes really important in the next couple of stories. So he gives Moses the plan. He's going to strike the rock and out of the rock. He's going to strike the rock with his staff and out of the rock is going to flow the rivers of living waters. Now let's go into 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is Paul bringing up this exact story and linking it the same way that we've been doing throughout these passages. And he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, that's that manna, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. What? (laughs) I don't see that in the Old Testament passage. Paul had learned through Jesus' teaching, through his formation as an apostle, to read the entirety of Scripture with his Jesus glasses on. He could find Jesus in any story because Jesus said all of that Everything that was written in Moses, the law, and the prophets was about me. And so where do we find Jesus in this story? The rock that was pierced, that overflowed with living water. Now, why did God call out this idea? Moses, take the staff with which you struck the Nile and strike the rock. Because he's done a lot of things with the staff, right? He's done several miracles that God could have referred to. Why did he say that? Because when Moses struck the Nile with his staff, it turned into blood. 
And when Moses strikes this rock, the living water is symbolic of the blood and water that came out of Jesus' side on the cross. In fact, in this picture, you see Moses is like stabbing up into the rock in the same way that a lot of icons portray the soldier stabbing Jesus' side. He's on the same side. He's looking up into this rock crevice and he's stabbing into the rock. It's deliberate, this symbolism. Jesus is pierced that we might have rivers of living water. And in the same way, the rock is pierced. So when you think, God, why did you provide that way? Or why did you have to do it this way? He has a reason. Why didn't you provide yesterday? Or why didn't you have this person help me? Or why couldn't I just figure it out? Because he wants to teach you something. So ask him, God, what are you doing in this situation? Especially when it's hard. Especially when you're between a rock and a hard place. In fact, where is your provision when you're between the rock and the hard place? It's in the rock. It's in the very situation that you think is killing you. There are so many times in our life where we feel like the burden, the weight of the world has come upon us, where we cannot overcome this mountain or this rock, and God's saying, strike the rock and see me provide. Now, what does that mean in your life? It depends on the situation, but it definitely means inviting God to show you where he is in your situation. God, where are you in this place? And even the most difficult of circumstances, the biggest tragedies, the overwhelming failures, God is there. That's where he wants to meet you. That's where he wants to provide for you. Because he knows us. He knows that we will look to anything to fix our problems before we look to him. So sometimes he has to create a problem in our life. He has to put a stone in the way so that there's nowhere else for us to go. Except to him. And then we see Jesus, of course, explaining what this water truly is. And this gets to the heart of the lesson that God's trying to teach us in the Israelites this morning. In John chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Jesus answers the Samaritan at the well, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. A couple verses later, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, referring to the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Did you know that God's concerned not just with providing the way out of your current situation, but with making you a fountain of living water that transforms your entire life to one of abundance and connection? That God is actually not just looking to give you the amount of money you need to conquer your situation, the time you need to fix the problem, or the miraculous solution to the problem. He is concerned with something far greater, and that is digging in you a well of living water. Where no matter where you go, what situation you find yourself in, you still have the spirit inside of you to be your life, your provision. The amount of times that Israel complains of being hungry and thirsty in the chapters that follow this, and then they repeat it in Numbers and they repeat it in Deuteronomy, it is absolutely astronomical because they never get the point. The point isn't to fill their bellies or to quench their thirst. 
The point is to be like Paul who could say, I am content in all things. Whether I'm being beaten with stones, whether I'm being thrown in prison, whether I have an abundance of food, whether I'm in the best place, I'm content because Christ is in me. And if I die, then guess what? I get to be with Christ. And if I live, then I get to suffer with Christ. Thank God. What a perspective. Over and over again, the Israelites think, well, God gave us a meal that time. Is he going to come through this time? And God's like, you're missing the entire point. The point is that I'm the one who feeds you. I'm the one who fills you up. And that with me, you will never thirst. That's what Jesus says. Whoever has this water will never thirst. Well, I'm kind of thirsty right now. What did he mean? That wasn't just for effect. I really did need a drink. Um, He's trying to say that there's a thirst that is far more important than whether you ever get another drink of aqua, whether you ever get a drink of H2O. There's a thirst in each of our souls, and we try and fill it with everything, but it can only be filled with him. He gets one message across in all of Christianity. If you can get this one thing, then you will know the secret of Christianity. The one thing is this, and I'm spoiling the story here. Jesus is the promised land. That entire journey to a mythical place flowing with milk and honey, yes, there's a geographical place that God had promised them that he was bringing them. Yes, he cares about your daily needs, your bodily needs. But in order to be the type of person who can live in the abundant promised land, you have to realize that it's all about finding him. This is why. Remember how we've been saying lately about these Israelites that the problem was they got out of Egypt, but they didn't get Egypt out of them. They're still slaves in Egypt in their mindset. And what does a slave do when they're not fed? They rail against their masters and demand their right. What does a son do when he's not fed? He trusts his father to provide. There's a completely different dynamic here. And if they took that slavery mindset, that thing in their soul that still saw themselves as slaves into the promised land, they just make another Egypt. What is in you comes out of you. And if the Israelites who were enslaved by Egypt took that slavery mentality, that grumbling, that complaining, that quarreling into the most bountiful land in the entire world, it wouldn't take them but a generation to become another tyranny because what is in them would become what is around them. So first God has to create the promised land people before he can bring them into the promised land. And the journey can be as long as you want it to be. It takes time. But when you surrender to God, you get on the fast track to his purposes in your life. When you invite him in to change those parts of your heart, when you pursue him, he transforms you internally. When you stop focusing on the external and focus on him, I have that conversation daily with my wife where it's like, man, we're struggling in this area and I have to keep remembering, wait, hold on. That's the external problems. What is the internal solution? Why am I afraid here? Why am I angry? What's going on? Because I want to be a promised land people. And that's what God wants us to be. 
I love this quote by C.S. Lewis that says, Die before you die. There's no chance after. It's a great pithy quote. Die before you die. There's no chance after. Take up your cross and follow God. Because you know what? You only get one life to live. You only live once is false. We get to live for eternity. But how you live right now, that changes eternity. I'm going to rephrase it. Meet God in the desert. There's no chance after. If you don't learn to meet God in the desert, on the mountain, in the difficult place, then you will not dwell with God in the promised land. You may be where he brought you, but you're not going to be living with God. You're not going to be dwelling with him. So what is this all about? Is it about striking a rock and getting that H2O that they needed in the desert? No, it's about finding your sustenance in God. And therefore, nothing else will ever harm you. I use that word harm liberally, right? I'm talking about nothing else will detract from your eternal weight of glory if you find all your sustenance in him. It doesn't mean you won't get sick. It doesn't mean you won't hurt. It doesn't mean you won't go through some of the most difficult experiences that could ever happen have happened to Christian martyrs, have happened to Christian people who lived much holier than any of us. And yet they were tortured, killed, their families killed. But they found their sustenance in God. I don't want this to be a dark message like, oh, the Christian life is so hard. No, God wants to bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Physically, literally, he wants to bring you into abundance. He wants you to have that house, that job, that car, that family. Whatever it is you're praying for, whatever it is he's promised you, he wants to bring it there. But first things first, he's got to bring it forth in your heart. He's got to teach you to trust him. Because otherwise, all that house will be is the reason why you don't have to pray anymore because you got what you needed. Or otherwise, that family will be the thing that becomes your idol, that becomes the God that you serve. And you'll have spent all of your time and energy on your family and forgotten the one who gave you life. So he has to change our hearts in the desert. He has to meet us on the mountain so that he can bring us into the promised land. And that brings us to the chief problem with this story. They sum it up in this, right? And Moses called the name of the place Masa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means contention, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? They actually didn't say that in the story. But their actions did. They're grumbling. They're complaining. They're testing Moses. They're demanding for their right. What they were really saying through all of that bad attitude and behavior is, is God among us or not? Where is God in this difficult circumstance? You see, God has to answer that question in our hearts. Where is God? Is God among us? But once you answer that question, you've passed the test. Now, you still have to remind yourself. You still have to grow. You still have to come to the place of testing where your faith is deepened, where your understanding is deepened. But there is no other test. It's like, is God with you or is he not? Then act like it. Act like you've got the God of the universe on your side. Act like you've got the God who literally 
crossed heaven, earth, and hell to save you. Act like it. Stop complaining. And take some time to meet with him. He's taken eternity to be with you. Take some time to look to him. When life's hard, when you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, God's provision is in the rock. Amen? Amen. One God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Brothers and sisters, our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Therefore, let us bring our requests and those of the whole world before him, that all those who preach the gospel will remain faithful to the doctrines that have been passed down from the apostles. Lord, in your mercy, that the church will be persistent in prayer and be a household of prayer for all nations. Lord, in your mercy, that governments will enact laws that are consistent with the word of God. Lord, in your mercy, that those who have repented and yet are still living in shame will will understand that God has not only forgiven them, but also he remembers their sin no more. Lord, in your mercy, that there will be a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit and his gifts upon his people. Lord, in your mercy, that God will mercifully provide seasonal weather and abundant fruit of the earth to all people, especially those ravaged by drought, famine, or natural disaster. Lord, in your mercy, for our own special intentions. Lord, in your mercy. to make our requests known to you. Hear our prayer. Give us the grace to be persistent in prayer. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. And with your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbor with the peace.
Hope all of you are doing well. Today is our Hunger Walk, uh, the Family Assistance Ministries FAM Hunger Walk. And if you have signed up, and, or if you'd just like to go, we'd love to have you there. Uh, sign in is at 1 p.m. 1 p.m. when you get there, they will, uh, you'll sign in and they'll give you a t-shirt to wear and uh, just represent. And then we're going to start gathering around the community center area, right at, we're Kelly mentioned the big tree right in the middle by the community center. We're going to try and meet there, but I'm guessing that every other group is going to meet by the big tree around the community center. So just just come close to that area. We'll look for each other. We'll find each other. Uh, It'll be right in that little park area right out in front of the community center. And then the uh, walk starts at 2 p.m. And we go from the community center to the pier, which is all downhill, and it's only about three feet. Uh, so, so I, it says two miles. I don't know exactly what the map is for that, so um, we'll just follow along with the rest of the group. Well, uh, yeah, I guess so. I, well, they aren't going down that one road then. They have to be doing some kind of... No, I, I, I understand. I'd I, be surprised if it's a half a mile. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think it's that See far. See how easy it is. Come yeah. on up and do it. And it's downhill. And they give you all electric wheelchairs to ride in. So it's really, really relaxing and laid back. Uh, I, uh, so I, I walked farther than that yesterday in Dallas Airport. Yeah. Terminal so, to terminal, wandering. Were you, thinking day, it, were you doing the, it for the poor people who don't have food? <laughs> yes, I will. So, uh, also, when we get down to the pier, uh, the Fisherman's has, their snack bar has 25% off all of their food items for anyone who's in the walk. So, go down there and get yourself a, a fresh ahi sandwich or something like that. Wow, it's really how cool nice. Is that? I love eating their food down there. All right, Trunk or Treat. Trunk or Treat is obviously, it's on the 31st, Halloween or All Hallows Eve. And who is in charge of that? Who is in charge? Who? Bethany. Bethany is in charge of trunk or treat. So see Bethany about that. We'll set up our cars out here like we have before in the past and uh, bring your bring your little, uh, well, ours is, uh, what's his name, Paw Patrol? He's, uh, he's a little Paw Patrol guy. Bring your Paw Patrols and your Cinderella's and all them down here for trunk or treat. It'll be a lot of fun on the 31st. Men's Retreats is November 10th through the 12th. At the Alpine Retreat Center, that's a great place to go. And please see Eric Reed today if you have not, uh, if you've not given him uh, at least an indication of who's going out of your family. Um, Thomas, would you tell us about the uh, this announcement here? Youth group parents, could you tell us about the? Um, it says remind SMC parents, youth parents, about a text and an email. I just want to make sure I'm getting this right. Okay. <coughs> 
Unfortunately, my secretary, who normally handles these things, is feeding a child. Uh, um, so we want to have clear communication set up and just increased communication. And we have like a text group with the kids. But we're going to be um, getting with youth parents and other people who want to have updates on youth events or changes and what we're doing in youth retreats. And um, there's already an app set in place and going to be emails set in place. That way, everything can be distributed via text and email to you guys. So get connected with Kristen about how to get online for um, parents of youth. That way we can get you guys and you guys have all the updates and all the information as it goes out. So we can share everything really cleanly. And then the last thing is Bishop, the annual mission offering. Do you want to tell about that? Uh, annual mission offering. It's on the uh, 6th of November. Yeah, just go, go ahead. You know the routine on it. Okay, we're having an annual mission offering on November 6th. <laughs> Uh, we think it's for year. it's for the missions in, in right. uh, around the world, and it's uh, we shouldn't have to sell it. And, no, no. and I know you're not, but, but my God, we have it so incredibly well, and uh, so many don't. And so just try and let that rest in your heart. God will tell you what to do, and. Uh, you might want to tell them a little bit more. It's not necessarily missionary work. It's the missions that we have planted around the world that might meet in Africa underneath a tree. Or they might, uh, you know, they might have to, um, you know, to supply toilet paper or whatever for their church facility. They don't have much. And we want to encourage those missions to grow. Mm -hmm. So that's what that's for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... So don't, for heaven's sakes, don't hold back. And I have some uh, <clears throat> very sad news that I need to tell you. Part of our family, uh, uh, Steve and Sandy House, their son was involved in a uh, really a terrible accident. We don't have the details, but... Uh, and so he's in the hospital in uh, just really critical condition. Several people are. And so will you just please hold that family up in prayer? I can't believe I'm, I'm – it's really a wonderful thing, but I can't believe how that has affected me since I've heard it, you know, because, uh, you know, I knew Luke from the beginning and uh, – do you really realize what an incredible tight family we are? You can, you can, uh, what, what does it say in Hotel California? I mean, you can leave, but you can't, what, what is it? You can check out, but you can never leave. And that's the, that's the way we are. And, uh, you know, I just got back from Selma and the wonderful people that say they're us, you know, and, uh, Bishop Ann used to talk about it's like one church divided. They're the same. You go there, you're so comfortable. When they come here, they're so comfortable. And uh, what what a wonderful thing that is that God really has created so much more than just a, a church experience. Bishop, it's, can we pray for him right now? It's a family God. Yeah. What? Yeah, we're going to hold the, uh, the Eucharist up for all the people involved in that and the families and and uh, 
but just hold them up in prayer. Prayer is so powerful, and uh, you have not because you ask not. So I think we want to just really uh, beat the door down in hopes that uh, we can get all those people through in the best way and in God's perfect will. Amen. Father, we just uh, hold up uh, Steve and Sandy and Luke and his whole family, the Loxtons, the the other family of the other car that was involved in the passengers, we, people we don't even know. Well, we don't know. We don't have answers, and uh, we don't need to have answers, Lord, because we just cry out as your children, Abba, Father, have mercy and have grace, and, and just, Lord, just do the impossible which is supernatural in this situation, Lord. You can do whatever you want to do with the mess we create. And so, Lord, we just ask for your steadfast mercy and grace in the situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Forgive. 
Give thanks to the Lord our God. See, that's just the opposite of what they kept doing in the desert. What's wrong with those people? Man. Father, all powerful and ever living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death. He called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you've called us out of darkness in your own wonderful light. So with all the choir of angels in heaven, <coughs> we proclaim your glory and join in their unending hymn of praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God, power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you're holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he's given to death, a death he freely accepted. He took bread, he gave it to his disciples, he broke the bread. He said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood, 
of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread and saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. (coughs) May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world and make us grow in love, together with our patriarch Craig and all of the clergy. Remember especially all those who are sick and firm in spirit, soul, or body. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. And as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs, all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah, Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them to remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. The body of Christ, the cup of our salvation.
Can't get enough. 
us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and sickness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, a prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell, Satan, and all evil spirits who roam throughout the world seeking the ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world himself, not counting men's sins against us. He loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. What good news. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. Remain with you always. Amen. Come and consume, God, all we are. We give you permission. Our hearts are yours. We want you. We want you to come and consume, God, all we are. We give you permission. Our hearts are yours. We want you. We want you. into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. We love you and we'll never stop. We can't live without you. Jesus, we love you and we can't get Jesus.